0: Hey guys, sorry, I don't mean to go all FDR on you or anything, but here's the new deal. All the interviews are now going up first at scotthortonshow.substack.com. Of course, they'll all be going up at scotthorton.org the next day, and the archives going back to 1999 will still be free for you there at scotthorton.org. But I got to generate revenue, you know, for Pacifica Radio, October 16th. 2022. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm editorial director of Antiwar.com and editor of the new book, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Find my full interview archive, sign up for the podcast feed and so forth at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash show. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Katie Halper. She is the host of The Katie Halper Show, a live stream YouTube show, podcast, and WBAI radio show. That's Pacifica in New York City, and she is co-host of the YouTube show and podcast Useful Idiots, which she used to uh, co-host with Matt Taibbi. But uh, he's writing a book, so now Erin Maté is a co-host of Useful Idiots, and uh, she has written for The Nation, The Guardian, New York, MAG, and The Hill, and other places, too. Welcome to the show, Katie. How are you doing?
1: Good. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you here. I haven't written for The Hill, by the way. I used to appear on The Hill, which we can get into, but yeah. Oh, there you go.
0: Yeah, well, that's our subject today, is your relationship with The Hill. And what all's behind that? You made some uh, very interesting and important news in the last couple of weeks here. And so i um, happy to have you on to catch up and especially hopefully to get any later developments in the story that maybe we don't know of. So but it started with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib had made a comment about the situation in Israel, Palestine, and got her in some hot water. And then you came to her defense And then all hell broke loose after that. So can you go back and first of all, talk about what it was that the Congresswoman said that caused this whole thing to get started here?
1: Sure, yeah. So she um, delivered some virtual remarks to a conference uh, for Justice for Palestine. And she said that people were realizing more and more that you couldn't be progressive except for on Palestine and that you couldn't be progressive and support Israel's apartheid government. And for those comments she was smeared as an anti-semite or as saying anti-semitic things. Jonathan Greenblatt from the Anti-Defamation League or ADL totally misrepresented what she said. He she said he said that she had um you know implemented a litmus test for American Jews had nothing to do with American Jews what she had said. Debbie Wasserman Schultz tweeted about her calling them nothing short of anti-semitic. Jake Tapper did a segment on it and He did one of those. Some of her Jewish colleagues are saying it's anti-Semitic, what she said. He likes to pick on Rashid Slabe, Jake Tapper does. And so I wanted to defend her from what I thought were smears. So I made a video that both defended her from them and also laid out the case for why Israel is indeed an apartheid state. So I've been appearing on the Hill as a guest for about three years. Every week I would come on the show and do a segment on the media and politics. Then I had also started doing some guest co-hosting, and The Hill, their thing is that they have one host from the left and one host from the right, so I was like the left guest host. I had done that about three times. The time I'm talking about was my fourth time, and I had booked two other appearances, so I was actually supposed to be in, I was going to be in D.C. this whole week because I was going to host this past Monday and next Monday. So um, when you're a host, you get to do these things called radars that are basically monologues delivered straight to the camera. And I decided that my monologue that I would do, my radar, was going to be about Rashida Tlaib and her the attacks against her and the controversy over whether or not Israel is an apartheid state. I should also add that Jonathan Greenblatt also said that Israel is not an apartheid state. That had happened the week before, and so I decided to write my monologue about that, my radar about that. I made the case that it was an apartheid state by citing international human rights organizations like amnesty international human rights watch i cited palestinian human rights organizations i cited and quoted betselem which is an israeli human rights organization all of these places have said that israel is an apartheid state i looked at and quoted the united nations and the international criminal court because apartheid is actually a crime in international law And then I also cited and quoted Israeli officials who have said that Israel is either an apartheid state now or would become one. And this included Israeli prime ministers. A handful of them had, had said that. And then I cited and quoted Nelson Mandela, Bishop Desmond Tutu, and Naledi Pandor, who is a current minister of foreign affairs for South Africa, who had recently said at the United Nations General Assembly that there is a growing mountain consensus that Israel was an apartheid state. And interestingly enough, in her address, she cited Daniel Levy, who was an Israeli negotiator during the Oslo peace talks, who himself had said that it's an apartheid state. And so I delivered my monologue. I, they filmed it. I did more hosting for that day and left. And on my way out, I got a call from a producer saying, the higher ups here uh, saw the radar that you did on Israel, and they don't want to run it, so we're not publishing it. And I was like, "Why?" And she said that she didn't know, but there was a new policy at the Hill where they no longer did op-eds, either written or video form, about Israel. So I thought that was kind of ridiculous, and I said, "Well, what if you run the the radar, or the monologue, but you can have someone from an opposing, you know, with opposing view respond to it?" You could have me talk about it with someone who disagrees, or you could just have someone who disagrees. I was trying to be flexible because I really wanted to get it out there because I thought it was an important thing to say. That was on a Monday. And then by Wednesday, I was still talking to the producers. They were optimistic some kind of compromise could be met, meaning we could somehow you know, still run it maybe with someone disagreeing afterwards. Okay, then something that they had said, by the way, was that they couldn't do, they weren't doing op-eds on Israel, but you could do a segment on it. A segment is what I would do every week as a, a guest that's considered a segment, for example. So they said that you could do those. That, that's what the producer's understanding was. So then Wednesday afternoon, I get a call from the ex- uh, editor-in-chief of The Hill, and he said, we're not going to run the, the radar. And I said, okay, why? And he said, well, we, got, we get lots of pitches all the time uh, and we don't take them. Now, that's that was just a bullshit response because as anyone who works there will tell you, when you do one of these monologues, these radars, there's no editorial overview. You just literally email the team your monologue, they load it into the teleprompter and you then read it the next day. And Ryan Grimm, who covered what happened for The Intercept, he himself used to be a host at The Hill, and he estimates that he did about like 150 of these radars and never had anyone looking at it with any feedback. So I thought that was not a very sincere reason. Then the editor-in-chief, Bob Cusack, who called me, also told me that it wasn't in their sweet spot of coverage, which was domestic as opposed to international. That also did not ring true because, first of all, there's a domestic angle to this, because we're talking about Israel, and the United States constantly brags that Israel's a special friend, but also just because we were talking about Rashid Tlaib, but on top of that, I know as someone who's been both a guest and a host that international issues are frequently discussed on the show. I know that because I've discussed them. Another thing I want to add is that I had many times as a guest talked about Israel, so I really had no idea this was an off, out-of-bounds topic. Because I had talked about Israel very critically. I would mentioned that they lied about killing Shireen Abu Akleh. I had done a, uh, a segment where I talked about Israel shuttering these human rights organizations. I had done a segment about Israel um, bombing a cemetery where children were visiting their grandfather's grave. Um, so this was not, I thought, a, a taboo subject at the Hill. So. The guy, when the editor-in-chief tells me they're not going to run the radar, I text the producers and say, okay, can I talk about it during my segment tomorrow? I wasn't being, like, I didn't think, I I wasn't being cute about it or, like, defiant. My understanding was that Israel was not acceptable for op-eds, meaning written or video op-eds, but was for segments. So I asked if I could do that, then they told me to check my email and that's when I saw an email from an executive at The Hill who told me, we won't be needing you to do your segment tomorrow. Please send any unpaid invoices. Best of luck. Mm -hmm. So that was, it took them three days to end a, three days of my trying to get a raider out there and being flexible. They decided to just totally sever a three-year relationship that they had with me. And I also want to add that I had Pitched them a show that was like a leftist version of The View. We actually shot a pilot for it. It was with me and Brianna Joy Gray, Abby Martin, Rania Kallek, and Man, not only had we, sh- yeah, it would be great, right? And not only had we shot the pilot, they released a segment. And it did really well on YouTube, and they were excited about that. They were going to show that edited pilot to the higher up. so there was no problem, you know, with my work for The Hill. And then, yeah, and then this happened
0: man. So I'll tell you, uh, this is such a story and there's so many important things here, but I want to say right now that people, and this will be in the show notes and it's the video that you eventually did go ahead and release.
1: Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Let me just add one more thing. So then I went, I I had, when I realized they weren't going to be potentially weren't going to be running the video, I reached out to Rania Kalak at breakthrough news and said, I have the script. She saw the script. She loved it. And then We decided once I was fired on Wednesday, because either way, I was going to do the video. Even if they weren't going to let me do it, I was going to do it with Breakthrough News, I decided. And so once they told me no on the video and also, in addition, no more working with us, then uh, that was Wednesday and we shot the video on Thursday. So you can find that at YouTube.com slash the Katie Halper Show and also at YouTube.com slash Breakthrough News.
0: And it's called This is What Got Katie Halper Censored and Cancelled by The Hill. Israel is an apartheid state. So I want to get to that actually in a minute, but on the story of the censorship and this and that, I know you've been interviewed a few times, and this is now a couple of weeks ago, the last week of September we're talking about here. So I wonder if The Hill has had any further comment from their side of the story on this to anyone. No,
1: they haven't given any comment. The only thing that they did comment on was, and we know this because Brianna Joy Gray, who's one of their left-wing hosts, um, she actually addressed this on the hill. She decided to stay at the hill, but she very strongly condemned their decision and kind of called bullshit on it. And she said that they they said that they weren't going to run the radar for stylistic reasons, which I don't think anyone believes.
0: Does that mean they didn't like your hair?
1: Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, they were fine with it. And and my hair gets lots of positive feedback on the on YouTube, so Your hair's great. For better or for worse. Yeah. Um sometimes it's annoying uh that it's a subject of of discussion but
0: that's okay better than everyone hates it yeah totally yeah and uh of course the point here is just it's a poor excuse from them because they don't have another argument to use right Right. Uh, now what about the new york times and the washington post because it's not like you're a a-list media figure but you're like a strong c at least and the hill is obviously very important and so this is newsworthy there should have been a write-up in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Washington Post. So how about that?
1: Yeah, no, obviously not. I mean, there's been coverage of it from FAIR, which uh-huh. is a great place that I've done a lot of writing for. They wrote it up. Juan Cole wrote it up, Common Dreams, Bob Shear at Shear Post, Mondo Weiss, which does great work. Of course. And I've done some a bunch of interviews. John Fugel saying the most mainstream coverage got, I got was from John Fugel saying at Sirius XM, which was great.
0: Yeah, that's good. Of course, the great Phil Weiss, you know, is, like, mentioning him. Um, look, that's a real tragedy in itself right there. It's it's almost as bad as them firing you is the New York Times refusing to cover it. This Rat. deserves a few column inches, at least. Because, you know, you guys, as you said, you know, when you're talking about the view there, you guys are leftists. You're a uh, click to the left of the Democrats or something like that. But it's not like you're fringe figures. You know what I mean? And The Hill itself, of course, is an important journalistic outlet that is, you know, if not at the center of a lot of attention, it's certainly within the peripheral vision of right. essentially all mainstream journalists, right? So yeah. uh, there's nothing like too counterculture about them. The fact that they're willing to have people as far to the left as you guys host their uh, YouTube show and stuff like that, and typically, you know... Traditionally, has been pretty brave of them, but probably the bravest thing about them. Otherwise, they're pretty conventional publications. So right. even if it wasn't you, like if they just fired whoever over something like this, it seems like that should be covered by the rest of the media, too. LA the Times Intercept also the
1: covered of it, of course. Sorry, I forgot them. The I'm sorry, who? Yeah. The Intercept, Ryan Grimm. Oh, OK, uh, right, right. Yeah, story, I read his yeah.
0: piece on it. And he had his own story to tell, as you cited there, saying, hey, their story doesn't add up here, because trust me, I used to work there. Right,
1: he knew from the inside, working there. And Bronco Marchatich uh, did a great piece at Jacobin. It's called Left-Wing Journalist Katie Halper's Been Fired for Calling Israel an Apartheid State. Mm -hmm. And he goes through the fact that Nextstar, so Nextstar Media Group Inc. bought The Hill for $130 million last August. And then in September, Psagot Value Holdings Limited, an investment firm based in Tel Aviv, bought 6,100 shares in Nexstar for more than $1 million. Also, Nexstar hired to be um, hired for the position of managing editor of News Nation, and that's its cable channel. They hired Jake Novak, who was a journalist who had worked right before coming to NextStar. He spent um, a year and a half as the media director of the Israeli Consulate General in New York. And he's also has written approvingly of Trump's dropping of US support for the two-state solution. And he even defended Israel's building of more settlements and actually said it would, quote, bring more peace, prosperity, and freedom to both Israelis and Arabs, end quote. He also uh, led a presentation at Bar-Alan University called Defending Israel Against Media Bias, How to Fight News Media and Social Media Bias Against Israel. The best defense is a good offense.
0: Yeah, sounds no, that that. about right. <laughs> Sorry, hang on just one second. Hey, guys, anybody who signs up to listen to this show by way of Patreon will be invited to join the Reddit group. And I'm going to start posting stuff over there more. That's patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. Thanks. Hey y'all, LibertasBella.com is where you get Scott Horton Show and Libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things, including the great top lobsters designs as well. See, that way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. LibertasBella, from the same great folks who bring you ammo.com for all your ammunition needs too. That's LibertasBella.com. You guys check it out. This is so cool. The great Mike Swanson's new book is finally out. He's been working on this thing for years. And I admit, I haven't read it yet. I'm going to get to it as soon as I can. But I know you guys are going to want to beat me to it. It's called, Why the Vietnam War? Nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 61. And as he explains on the back here, all of our popular culture and our retellings and our history and our movies are all about the height of the American War there in, say, 1964 through 1974. But how do we get there? Why is this all Harry Truman's fault? Find out in Why the Vietnam War by the great Mike Swanson. Available now. Well, and look, and this goes back to something that you said about uh, Greenblatt before, when you said that he was misquoting uh, Rashida Tlaib there.
1: Mis- misrepresenting her, yeah.
0: Yeah, Uh in a sense, right, because what he was doing was he was begging the question and conflating some things. And essentially, he said that she said that there's this litmus test for Jews. when what American Jews, yeah. Yeah, what he's trying to say there is he's trying to imply that all Jews are Zionists. And then so yeah, therefore exactly, what right. she's saying is you can't be a progressive if you're Jewish or right. unless you— turn on your people or some kind of which is it's so
1: funny because yeah i mean an anti the idea that all jews are a monolith who support israel is actually an anti-semitic trope but it's an anti-semitic trope that the adl and apac are happy to to traffic well explain Um, that
0: explain what you mean by that in other words if somebody who really doesn't like jews was saying the same thing so a radical right winger that would sound really bad
1: yeah, exactly. So, right. In fact, lots of anti-Semites will, will call Jews Zionists. They'll conflate them as if we're all, and I should mention, I guess, that I'm Jewish, but they'll say, you know, the Zionist this, the Zionist that. It's a shorthand for Jew when you're an anti-Semite, and it's also basically an implicit shorthand for Jew when you're an uh, APAC person or ADL. But they they have to suggest, because they can't really defend what Israel does, they have to suggest that um, being Jewish means being Zionist and that criticizing Zionism is criticizing Jews or anti-Jewish. So if you're anti-Zionist, you're anti-Jewish. That's basically what their, their whole premise is. And that's a great way for people to be afraid to speak out about Israel because they don't want to be labeled an anti-Semite. I mean, I guess I have the luxury of being labeled a self-loathing Jew um, as opposed to an anti-Semite, though I'm getting both labels thrown at me. But Oops, it is a scary thing, and we have to push back against this. The idea that all Jews are a monolith, that all Jews have the same position on Israel. You know, that dual loyalty trope is also based on that, the dual loyalty trope, that, you're, that, that American Jews are going to be loyal to Israel, more loyal to Israel than they are to America, based on the same idea, that there is one Jewish opinion on Israel and it's supportive of Israel. Right. And Um,
0: the vast majority of American Jews in the polls say that Israel is not their priority at all. They're just Americans.
1: Yeah. And And AIPAC is just very powerful, but it doesn't represent most Jews. And it's really shifting on the ground when you talk about younger Jews.
0: Well, and, you know, it's funny because then, of course, as you're saying here, you're a young Jewish leftist saying, hey, everybody, here's the situation. It's obviously not that you're a partisan for the Palestinian Muslims and Christians, if you were a partisan, I guess you'd probably side with the Zionists, but you're no, just a partisan for human I mean, rights, I, I would be,
1: That's. I mean, I, would, I, I default kind of do side with the persecuted people of Palestine. I mean, I don't think it's—I'm not being like a, a traitor. I, I side with whoever is oppressed, and, you know, I don't think all Israeli Jews are evil. I think their government is. Um, I mean, I think the United States government is too. Um, but what stands out about Israel is Israel's a bit anachronistic in being a settler colonial, um, uh, occupying force. So they just violate international law in in particular ways. And I mean, the United States does all the time, but it's it's not as apparent, honestly.
0: Okay, so now let's get into this. Exactly, what is it that you think Americans don't understand and need to understand? about the situation there?
1: Well, that it's an occupation. Israel has constantly kind of dealt with the occupied territories as something that's temporary, but it's been there for decades now. Gaza is basically, it's been deemed an open-air concentration camp. Norman Finkelstein, whose parents are are Holocaust survivors and were in concentration camps, has said that that it's a place where the holocaust has really been weaponized and i have family i should point out also i have family in israel and i have family who were killed in the holocaust and never again for me and my family and the type of um left wing jewish kind of radicalism that i'm my family is part of never again is about never again for anyone you know no more no genocides no holocausts for anyone not just never again for jews it's very it's pretty tragic and ironic that people who were almost eliminated went off, and not all of them, obviously, because, again, not all Jews are Zionists. Most Jews aren't in Israel. Um, I mean, most Jews aren't Zionists. They founded a state on ethnic cleansing. And, again, most nations are formed that way. It's just that Israel was more recent and and claims to be a a democracy.
0: Mm. Well, I've found that people essentially don't understand where the lines are and what they mean. And as soon as they actually see who's occupying who and right. it makes sense, then like you just said, people side with the Palestinians because they're the ones who are being oppressed. Right. But if you just are kind of exposed to talk radio news, you might think that the Palestinians had invaded from the country next door and were trying to extort land out of the poor Israelis and that, you know, with their terrorism and so forth. And why should the Israelis have to give up their land to these terrorists? It's terrible. Right. And they don't people just don't understand that. These people aren't from the country next door. They are being pushed out to next door from the land that they used to own. And I guess right. the the real key in it is that after the sixty-seven war, they did, I guess, cleanse two hundred and fifty thousand people, something like that, but they kept millions. Right, like in the 48 war, they cleansed so many people out. Right. They had this 80-20 supermajority thing going on. But after the 67 war, essentially they kidnapped millions of Palestinians. And then they say, well, one day you'll have an independent state. But then now it's been right. 30 years of that. It's, it's, and no, right. we don't. You know?
1: And of course, Israel, I mean, has the way that they divided up the, the, the land has made it very hard to have a two-state solution. You know, Zionists have have been the biggest like hurdle to a two state solution.
0: Well, explain what you mean by that.
1: Well, with the West Bank and Gaza, um, you know, uh, it's not it's not an easy two state solution just because the geography of it. Um, yeah. They've made it pretty hard to do that. They and so and that was intentional. Um, Jeffrey Halper, no relation to me, talks about this. No relation that we know of. He's an American Jew who actually lives in Israel and is part of the coalition against housing demolitions.
0: Hmm. You know, you also brought up there kind of by implication, the sort of cliche or the common understanding that, no, it's the Palestinians who are the biggest obstacle to getting their own state. It's funny that this is the trope. People really believe they're like, oh, yeah, no, Israel handed An independent Palestinian state on a silver platter to Yasser Arafat. And he turned it down because the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And since that's a cute, clever thing to say, that means it's true. And we all repeat it over and over again. Right.
1: Yeah. No, and that's not true. And also the idea that Israel is this uh, always the liberal democracy. I mean, look at what happened to Yitzhak Rabin for the crime of trying to negotiate peace. He was uh, executed. I mean, sorry, he was assassinated by a right-wing, rabid Jewish fundamentalist. And, you know, the settlers there are just, it's really atrocious what's happening. You have people coming to Israel from Brooklyn, kicking out people who were there for generations, taking over Palestinian homes. Yeah. And I also want to just add that there is anti-Semitism in the world. We shouldn't pretend that there isn't. But what's scary is that Places like the ADL and APAC are kind of both-sizing anti-Semitism. So you have people, you have right-wing white supremacists shooting up synagogues. And then the ADL is like, yeah, so we have that on the right. But on the left, we have people who are engaging in BDS, boycott, divest, sanction, which is not anti-Semitic, and it's a non-violent form of resistance. But again, because they conflate Zionism with Jewishness, that's kind of all they have. And so... They are the ones who are trivializing Mm anti-Semitism.
0: And by the way, yeah, one more thing back to what you said about the generational change there. This is something that Philip Weiss has been talking about for a very long time is, you know, the different attitudes within different sectors of different Jewish communities in America, you know. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, how that is. in Well, there are
1: lots of there are lots of there's like Jewish voice for peace, um, if not now. These are organizations that are Jewish and explicitly anti—you know—support Palestinian human rights. Yeah. So, and most of my friends and my family definitely is like this—you know—shares my politics on this. Mm -hmm.
0: And then, is there really like a big difference between kind of Reform synagogues versus Orthodox ones or Hasidic ones, or it's really just hit or miss depending on where you go?
1: You mean in terms of the politics on this issue? Yeah, and in terms—well, what's interesting is that some Orthodox Jews are anti-Zionist because for them going back to Israel, they need like a signal from God, hmm. uh, which is kind of funny to see the different religious breakdown. Of course, the biggest number of Zionists, most Zionists are Christian because there's so many more Christians in this in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, they are Christian Zionists who want Jews to go back to Israel and we either convert or we don't convert. And then either way, I think only like 400 of us get saved and the rest of us burn um, for eternity. In
0: hell. Oh, that's really too bad.
1: Yeah. Y- yeah. I mean, none in of us want to die
0: alone. But then again, <laughs> I don't know yeah. about, you know, forcing the apocalypse to come sooner. Right. is really, especially right. in these Biden times. I'm just not feeling it. I would rather dissuade.
1: Yeah. not. I'm not pro-rapture. Yeah. Hot take. You Jesus, heard it here first. hold your horses, Jesus. man. Yeah. Speaking from one Jew to another, Jesus, please, please <laughs> pause.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, and, and yeah, it's interesting what you say about the, uh, the very religious anti zionists who, you know, they really are committed not just to their own beliefs on that, but in terms of justice for the Palestinians too, right? From what I've seen of them, they seem to be very principled and, and very good people sticking up for the Palestinians.
1: Yeah. I don't know how much it's, I honestly don't know enough about that. I don't know how much it's motivated by supportive Palestinians or a religious, impulse to wait for god i don't know i i don't know enough about it i know know that but
0: i guess i'm just talking about my impression from what i've seen is you know they'll like show up at a rally that's being held by palestinians for palestinian rights and they'll show up and say yeah we support them and that kind of thing which is pretty pretty great of them to do yeah yeah all right well listen anyway thank you so much again for uh sticking up for the palestinians and sticking up for yourself here
1: thanks a lot
0: great stuff katie
1: one other thing, I just want to tell people next Tuesday, my guests are going to be amazing guests, uh, Nora Erikot and Miko Pellet. And Nora Erikot is this brilliant Palestinian-American human rights lawyer. And Miko Pellet is a fascinating figure. He's great. He wrote a book called The General's Son in Israeli and Palestine. He is the son of a decorated Israeli general. Then on the other side of his family, his mother's father was a signatory to Israeli independence. And he is a one, has become a one-state advocate. Tragically, his niece was killed in a suicide bombing. By the way, Nora's cousin was killed by uh, Israeli forces. So both of them have been ex- subjected to personal tragedy. And yet they both are—they keep on keeping on. So that's going to be a great show.
0: That's really great. And you say that's this coming—
1: Tuesday, yep, 7 p.m. EST. And you can also get bonus and extended coverage, uh, extended interviews and bonus interviews and bonus episodes at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. I interviewed Kit Klarenberg this week about the uh, bridge to Crimea and how British intelligence had done their own plan around that, around exploding it.
0: Right, yep. Well, listen, um, yeah, we covered that at antiwar.com. We covered, uh, we ran, Bronco March teaches article about you and. And oh, as much good. coverage as we could about this anyway thank you thanks again you for all of this and everybody again uh, check Katie out at youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show appreciate thanks it thanks so much alright John, and that has been anti-war radio for this morning thanks very much for listening I'm your host Scott Horton find all the archives at scotthorton.org and I'm here every Sunday morning from 9 to 9.30 on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA see you next week